The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. with me again this morning to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And uh, I'm going to begin reading with verse 24. Uh, Would you like to stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Let's honor God's word by standing. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that a tournament was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. When they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own remnant on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of serene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. Dear Lord, we thank you for the reading of the word of God this morning. We thank you, dear Lord, that you left heaven in all of its glory and came to this earth for the exact purpose of dying on that cross so we could be saved from our sins. Dear Lord, we stop for just a moment this morning and we want to thank you for your great love to us. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to us through your word. I pray, dear God, that we'll see some great things happen, not because of any speaker that might be speaking, but because you promised for the two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in their midst. And, Lord, we have sensed your presence as we heard the great hymns being sung. Dear Lord, as we have had the opportunity to fellowship with your people, it is very obvious you're in this congregation. And we thank you for your presence, dear Lord. Bless me as I try to preach to your people this morning. 
I'd sure like to be a blessing to them, but the only way I can do that is that you would bless me. I pray for your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. While you're being seated, would you uh, uh, quote a verse of Scripture with me, okay? Uh, probably everybody in this room this morning can quote this one verse of Scripture from memory. And uh, guess what verse I'm talking about? John 3.16, okay? Uh, let, let's say that verse together, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that a great verse or not? For God, that confronts atheism. For God so loved, that confronts animism. For God so loved the world, that confronts nationalism. For God so loved the world that he gave, that confronts materialism. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That confronts Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism, all the other cults. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, that confronts hyper-Calvinism. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That confronts annihilism. We're not annihilated. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that would confront those people that believe you can lose your salvation. That's a great verse, amen. I mean, if that's the only verse we had in the whole, whole Bible, uh, we would know a lot about God. I, I have no idea how many times I've read that verse. I have literally no idea how many times I may have quoted that verse in preaching. But this morning, I, I want us to think about one word in that verse. L listen to it very carefully. For God so loved the world. I want us to think about the word so. Many times, if we're not careful, as we read the Bible, and we say, and I literally believe in it, okay, the verbal inspiration of the Bible. And that means that every word is inspired. It's not just the thought. It's not just the idea. It's not just the doctrine, but every word. And sometimes in, in reading the Bible, if we're not careful, we'll just skim over certain words. And it'd be awfully easy just to miss that little word, so. For God so loved the world. And I do not claim to have fully comprehended the meaning of the word. However, this morning, I'd like for us to explore the meaning of that word together. And by the way, aren't you thrilled to think that our great God loves the world of mankind? For God so loved the world. Now, he says in 2 John, uh, our 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, and he's talking about the world system. But in John chapter 3 and verse 16, when he says God so loved the world, he's talking about the world of humanity. You know what that means? That means that God loves every one of the 7.5 billion people on the face of the earth this morning. 
Uh, it does not matter about their ethnic background. It does not matter about their economic situation. It does not matter about the color of their skin. It does not matter about their education. It does not matter about their moral condition. It does not matter about anything. The Bible simply says, for God so loved the world. In other words, uh, we don't have any trouble going to anybody on the face of the earth and saying to them unashamedly, God loves you. And by the way, isn't it wonderful to look in the mirror and think, God even loves that person, amen? <laughs> For God so loved the world. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. By the way, that is God's goal for every believer. Now, I doubt anyone here this morning would admit to being sinless, okay? But the longer we're saved, we ought to sin less and less and less, amen? And so the Bible says here, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And isn't that a wonderful thing? Somebody said, if you want to go to heaven, find yourself a good Jewish lawyer, amen? His name is Jesus, okay? Uh, we have an advocate. When, when, when we sin, we have somebody pleading our case. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then the next verse says, and he is the propitiation. And the word propitiation means the sacrifice that pleases God. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, God so loved the world. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. By the way, listen to that. Who will have all men to be saved. It is not his will that any perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then Paul adds, for there is one God. You say, oh, but Brother says, we live in a pluralistic society. We have always lived in a pluralistic society ever since man began to worship false gods. But regardless of that, there is only one God. And you say, well, you're narrow-minded. Guilty, amen? Uh, I'm just as narrow as this book. There's one God, and by the way, it gets a little bit more narrow, okay? And there is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And then listen to the rest of that. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He gave himself a ransom for all. And every time I read those last two words, there, to be testified, listen to it, in due time. Isn't it due time that we let the rest of the world know what we know? I'll never forget being in South Africa years ago, and there was a older gentleman, and for some reason, older people kind of tend toward me, okay? I don't know why, but 
Anyway, he was, he was from England. And uh, we chatted night after night about different things and so forth. Just a real jolly fellow, you know. And uh, the, the last night of the meeting, before I left, he put a piece of paper in my hand. And uh, when I got home that night, I just put the paper in my pocket. Uh, and when I got home that night, I took the paper out. It just scribbled on there. But here's what the man had written. Brother says, if we could go to heaven in an automobile, I'd like you to be the driver. Because you know how to get to heaven, and you know how to tell people to get there. And that was very convicting, Brother Lytell. And I thought, he's right. I do know how to get to heaven. And I do know how to tell people to get there. But am I as zealous as I ought to be in telling people how they can know they're saved and going to heaven? Now listen to the word again. For God so, for God so, we use it a lot. I love you so much. Okay. Different thing. For God so. Let's, let's think about the word so, and let's try to get a better meaning of it for just a minute, okay? Look at your text. How much did God really love this world? After the most unjust trial in the history of mankind, Jesus was condemned to be crucified on a cross. But before they crucified him, look at it. Look in verse 26. And they scourged Jesus. Now, it'd be awfully easy just to read through that verse, scourge. But you know what it means. It means they stripped him of his garment. <clears throat> they put his face to the wall. They took a whip with a metal ball with protruding points on it. Thirty-nine times they came down on his body with that whip. God incarnated in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the impeccable Jesus Christ, the only one who had ever lived all of his life without any sin whatsoever. He's being beaten in that way. And God the Father looks down from heaven and he sees that. Fathers, imagine seeing your son beaten in a way like that. Why didn't he do something? For God so loved the world. Why didn't Jesus do something to save himself? Jesus was God incarnated in the flesh. For God so loved the world. Look at it again. Verse 28, they stripped him, put on him a scarlet robe, and when they had plaited a crown of thorns, can you imagine? You're out in the garden working in a rose bush and you prick your finger with a thorn. But can you imagine a crown of thorns placed on the head of Jesus Christ? What a gory looking situation. He's been scourged. 
Maybe his back now looks like something other than human flesh. He's been beaten so badly. Now they put the crown of thorns on his head. Then they mocked him. They hit him in the face. In verse 30. And they spit upon him. Can you imagine the creator, the creature, spitting on the creator? I mean, that's about the worst insult that you could do to a person. So they scourge him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They beat him with clubs. They spit in his face. And then they get to Golgotha. They put the nails in his hands. Nail him to a cross. And for six hours, he hangs there. Listen to the cry. Eli. Eli, lama, stavakatana, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And all of the pain that he suffered physically was nothing like being separated from God the Father for the first time in all eternity. Why did he bear all of that? For God so loved the world. If we really get the meaning of the word soul, what would it do for us? Number one, I believe that it would mean that we would know better how to worship him. Look at chapter 7 in the Gospel of Luke for a minute. You want to see real worship? And it's a wonderful thing to gather like this and sing hymns, and we're worshiping God in that way. But, but isn't it wonderful sometimes just to be all alone and just begun, begin to think about how much he loves me personally and then just fall before him? That's what happens in this verse. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would be with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, a known sinner, a notorious sinner, when she knew that Jesus said it meet in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now watch this. Stood at his feet, weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Wow. That's real worship. Notice what the Pharisee said. When the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself. And by the way, uh, Jesus not only knows what we say, he knows what we think. Amen. Now, he didn't speak this out loud. He just talked within himself. Okay. He spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known unto who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Listen to the Pharisee. By the way, Pharisees never worshiped God. They worshiped themselves. Amen. 
And by the way, they don't like it when anybody else worships. They get upset, okay? So, so the Pharisee here is thinking, okay, if, if he was really a prophet, he would know who this woman was. Uh, let's teach the Pharisee something this morning, okay? Jesus did know who she was. He knew she was a sinner, but he knew he was, she was a repentant sinner. And by the way, it does not matter what we have done. When we repent of that, we are assured beyond any shadow of a doubt that God forgives us. He saw her brokenness, her tears of repentance. He saw her adoration. Unashamedly, she bent down and kissed his feet. She was not ashamed to express her love. He saw her exaltation. She anointed him with this very expensive ointment. If we really get to know the meaning of that little word soul, I think we will be more ready, more prepared to really worship him. Stop for just a minute and think. When Jesus was scourged, when Jesus had the crown of thorns put on his head, when Jesus felt that spittle in his face, he was thinking about you, about you, about you, about you. In fact, he was thinking about everybody who had ever lived or would ever live. I heard a story years ago in a lot of my stories are old for some reason, okay? Jimmy Davis was governor of Louisiana. And uh, some people went from Louisiana to the Holy Land. And they visited Calvary when they were there, as all people do. And uh, they bought some souvenirs. And when they got back to Louisiana and had the opportunity, they were friends of the governor. They went to the governor's mansion and they presented this souvenir to him. And they said to him, Governor, when we stood on Calvary, we thought about you. And Governor Jimmy Davis said, that's gracious of you. I appreciate that so much. But I'm sure glad when Jesus Christ stood on Calvary, he thought about Jimmy Davis. I'm glad he thought about Don Sis. Aren't you glad he thought about you? Shouldn't we be more worshipful? If I get the meaning of the word soul, it would not only mean that I will unashamedly worship him, but it will mean that I will unconditionally give him my service. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, the Bible says, Let's turn to that and read it just a minute, okay? Take your Bibles because I want to show you several verses in this Bible real or in, in this passage real quickly, okay? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, but look at verse 14, okay? For the love of Christ constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all for the love of Christ constraineth us. We thus judge that if one died for all, 
then we're all dead. Look at the word. The love of Christ constraineth us. If I ever get the meaning of the word soul, then it will mean I will give him my unconditional service. Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives several reasons why we should serve the Lord. In verse 8, he says we're going to heaven. Uh, that's a good reason to serve the Lord. Amen. In verse 10, he says we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That's a good reason to serve the Lord, to give him our unconditional service. Uh, in verse 11, he talks about people that are dying and going to hell. Uh, that's a wonderful reason for serving the Lord. In the latter part of the chapter, he talks about the fact that we are ambassadors for Christ. We have a high position. Every believer is an ambassador for Christ. We have a high position. So there are all kinds of reasons why we should serve the Lord. But then the ultimate reason is for the love of Christ constraints us. See what Paul is saying? What keeps you going, Paul? People don't like you. They've beaten you. They've done everything in the world against you. Uh, why don't you just give it up? For the love of Christ. Oh, Paul. It's your love for Christ that keeps you going. No. It's not my love for Christ that keeps me going. It's his love for me that keeps me going. My wife and I have been married 63 years. I remember the very first time that she told me she loved me. Man, my head was spinning. I went home that night. I lay on my bed. I could not help but think. How could somebody as beautiful and as wonderful as she is love somebody like me? <laughs> Thank you, preacher. And by the way, she's had that same thought many times since then. Okay. But when Virginia said, I love you, there were so many things about Don Sis that she didn't know. If we revealed everything, none of us would ever get married. <laughs> well, one night at a Youth for Christ meeting, after a student, a fellow student, had invited me to go to Youth for Christ meeting, I learned that God loved me. Guess what? He knew everything I'd ever done, everything I'd ever do. But in spite of that, he loved me. If I ever get the true meaning of that little word soul, it will mean that I will be willing to go anywhere he wants me to go, to do anything he wants me to do, to give anything he wants me to give. Because after all, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. If I really get the meaning of the word soul, it will mean that I will be less egocentric and I will be more Christ-centered. It, it will mean that I will be less concerned about what I want and more concerned about what God wants for me. It will mean that I will love what he loves. And I believe from the depth of my heart, church, it will mean we will be less concerned about living the American dream and more concerned about fulfilling the Great Commission.
I think this week, if we could get them close to the meaning of that word soul. Uh, regardless of what you're planning to do tonight, you'd probably be in church. Probably even Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Because we're going to hear missionaries and we're going to learn about countries and we're going to learn about burdened people. And by the way, God's heart is a mission heart. For God so loved the world. Listen to a song. And relax, I'm not going to sing. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the love that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty God that God did span at Calvary. Every time you think of the scourged body, the spittle in the face of Jesus, the thorn-crowned brow, and the crucified body of our Lord, just remember, he did all of that for you. You've heard it said, I really believe it. If God in his omniscience had have known that only one person would have ever been saved because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that one person would have been me, or that one person would have been you, he would have still allowed his son to leave heaven in all of its glory, come to this earth, and suffer, bleed, and die for sinners. I'll never forget, we had a group of young people that would go every Monday night to a little island across from Kobe, Japan, or Akashi, Japan, where we live, and have an evangelistic meeting. Many times my wife and I would go with them, sometimes we were doing other things, could not go. This particular night, we did not go. About 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, we had a knock on the door, and one of the Bible school students came, and she was so excited. And she said, Teacher, tonight, I had the opportunity to lead an 86-year-old woman to the Lord. Took my Bible, the Word of God, and she was a wonderful soul winner. And then she said, after this Obasan, the old grandmother, got saved, she said to me, I've always believed there must be a God like that somewhere, but I'd never heard about it. Aren't you glad somebody told you? And aren't you anxious to give and pray and go? So the whole world can hear about him. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, just think about it for a minute. How great, ungrateful could anybody be that they would reject someone that loved them that much? For God so loved the world, and that means me. Let's bow our heads.